Chapter Seventeen of Unknown London by Walter George Bell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seventeen: The Bells of Saint Clements. Of late years, the famous peal of bells at Saint Clement Danes in the Strand has been mute. The note of a single bell you may hear when the hammer from the clock strikes it, proclaiming the hour. That is all. London people are not observant. Thousands hurry by each working day, into Fleet Street and beyond, going in and out to business, a cockney throng streaked with eleven of visitors from far distant quarters of the globe, who have been discharged at Charing Cross Terminus, which aptly has been described as one of the gates of the world. Amid the rush of traffic, and with the noisy hum of the city all around them, probably few have missed the clang of the bells up in the belfry the long ropes dangle untouched by any hand sorrowfully the rector told me one day as we passed out under the dark tower with its embedded norman pillars into the blaze of sunlight flooding the strand that he dare not ring the peal for fear of bringing the bells down upon the ringers heads the reason thereof lies within and above the stout oaken frame which bears the immense weight of all this swinging metal that has vibrated over the city these many centuries past with so much melody might seem to an unskilled eye strong enough to resist anything short of the crack of doom but the plain fact is that the constant swing of the bells has worked the frame loose stout as it is even more strength is needed till a sum of about three hundred pounds is available for fixing a new steel frame the belfry must remain silent st clement's bells belong to no single parish not even to great london they have rung for untold centuries through the whole realm of nursery land whose boundaries only the most distant oceans encompass oranges and lemons say the bells of st clement's who is there alive with english blood in his veins who does not remember this rhyme since earliest childhood and who wrote those lines some one has missed immortality by not leaving us his name no one even knows their date loftier verse has been written than these jingles but what proportion of it will be so enduring i am prone to suspect that they are elizabethan a product of that great age of far greater poetry which has given us so many rhymes that live in nursery literature the catch-sayings with which our youngest hopefuls seek to entrap their elders forgetting that they themselves were once children are for the most part of still earlier date how many cows tails would it take to reach the moon one if it were long enough that is delightfully familiar but it has been left to learned bibliophiles grey-beards with strained eyes poring through gold-rimmed spectacles over the earliest productions of the english printing press to discover that this little quip was printed by wynkin de ward caxton's old assistant in his demondus joyous a nursery book issued from the sign of the sun in fleet street in the year fifteen ten four centuries have not blunted its point and still it is potent to produce shouts of infantile laughter. Lend me five fardens, say the bells of St. Martin's, 
when will you pay me say the bells of old bailey when i am rich say the bells of shoreditch when will that be say the bells of stepney st martin's the bells of old bailey shoreditch stepney they are all identified in their proper names and places and so is the big bell of bow cheapside which with its i'm sure i don't know closes the animated conversation between london belfries and the rhyme goes off distractedly here comes a candle to light you to bed and here comes a chopper to chop off your head chop chop let a disturbing doubt like unto the chopper be admitted what have oranges and lemons most delectable of foreign fruit to do with st clement danes unless it be to serve the need of a somewhat halting rhyme the church stands before temple bar at the gateway of the city of london the association is by no means obvious st clement's bells sent their message over drury lane which is within the parish and the orange girls of drury lane have their place in the drama's history was not sweet nell of old drury the most famous of all orange girls herself a king's favourite but to pierce the mystery one must go deeper than such superficial explanations the solution was perhaps found by the late j septimus pennington whose long and devoted labours as rector of st clement danes will never be forgotten clement's inn now modernised and let out for offices and residences was a lawyer's inn close by and there it was the custom at the new year for the servants to go to all the chambers presenting gifts of oranges and lemons to the tenants while from the church belfry there rang a joyous peal still the question remains whether the custom was older than the rhyme or took birth from it and as we do not know the date of the latter i cannot undertake to sit in judgment lawyers of note have been there justice shallow you'll recall was of clement's inn boasting the braggart that often he had heard the chimes at midnight another city church has claimed the rhyme as its own st clement's eastcheap stands not far back from the river steamboats trailing long lines of smoke behind them come up the thames passing to the pool under the raised bascules of tower bridge bringing golden oranges resplendent with the sunshine of spain and lemons from sicily and no sight is more familiar at london bridge than that of the files of men like loaded ants carrying the heavy boxes of fruit from ship to shore but sentiment will continue to associate the nursery lines with st clement danes because if for no other reason by its unrivalled position it has become one of the best-known churches in all london who will tell off-hand where st clement eastcheap the least notable among wren's company of churches even stands ten bells hang in the now silent belfry a little lone world to itself poised high within four walls undisturbed by anything which agitates the great city below if ever an owl sought a roosting-place wherein to blink and preen himself before setting out on nocturnal flights over london here i feel sure he would be found the tenor bell 
big brother of this musical family, weighs twenty-four hundredweight. Eight of the company were cast by William and Philip Whiteman in 1693, eleven years after Sir Christopher Wren had raised the present church. St. Clement Danes, however, is in origin one of the oldest churches in the metropolis, the foundation taking us far back into the mists of antiquity. There was an Anglo-Saxon building at this spot when William the Conqueror and his host landed near Hastings, and the Danes, in the name, preserves memory of the rule of still earlier alien kings. St. Clement Danes has long treasured the possession of its sanctus bell, swung high up in the belfry above the chimes. Such a bell is, of course, a direct link with the early faith and days before the Reformation. I feel some contrition in referring to this matter at all, some regret in performing an unpleasant task, but having assured a society of archaeologists that this is an original sanctus bell, it is now due from me with fuller information in my possession to say that it is not. In earlier times the saint's bell played a part of no mean importance in the ritual of the Roman Catholic Church. At the point in the service where the words occur, Sanctus, 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 Dominus, Deus, Sabaoth, the Sanctus was rung, and sent its message over the whole of the parish, that those who were inevitably absent through sickness or upon the bed of death, might humbly kneel or bow in supplication with their fellow worshippers within the church. Many examples of the Sanctus bell no doubt survived the Reformation, and were hanging in the belfries when the great fire of 1666 swept through London, destroying in its path no fewer than eighty-seven of the one hundred and nine city churches. In that tremendous conflagration, the bells, great and small, were melted into shapeless masses of metal, or, falling from great heights, shattered themselves into fragments. St. Clement Danes stood outside the area of the fire, which stopped in Fleet Street. Its bell-tower was safe. Robertus Mot Mifesit is moulded in the bell-metal in the pretty Gothic letter with a date. The question turns on the date, the weathered figures of which have been read 1538 and 1558. I climbed over the silent peel, and up an iron ladder to the topmost platform, leaving footprints in the dust of London blown to this height, to get the testimony of my own eyes, and left still undecided. Robert Mott supplies the key. He was a bell-founder in Whitechapel, who was not trading in 1538, but was so trading later that century. In the year 1558 Elizabeth came to the English throne, and I have imagined the bell sending out its joyous sound for the first time in a peal rung after the darkest reign in our history, in welcome of the Protestant Queen. Note. Yet to add other complications, Messrs. Mears and Stainbank, the famous bell founders who carry on today in Whitechapel the business originally established by Robert Mott, tell me that from their own examination they find the bell was cast in 1588, and having climbed the tower again, I agree with them. End note.
you may from the wide strand catch just a glimpse of the bell high overhead where through the pierced tower the flagstaffs bear the weight of streaming bunting on days of festival each hour is struck upon it by the clock a simple use the same note silvery clear and penetrating that to-day it gives out must have been heard by shakespeare for it rang in shakespeare's london by milton when he lived in st bride's passage fleet street by the luckless loveless dying in poor lodgings in gunpowder alley by dr johnson who regularly attended worship at this church where his pew is marked by a tablet by all those of the great dead whose ghosts flock through temple bar the clock strikes first on the tenor bell and then a moment later the note is repeated on mott's bell the arrangement is peculiar to st clement danes perchance the old horologist who made this clock wily in his day determined to give himself two chances of accuracy in timekeeping a joyful peal from st clement danes belfry standing at the very gate of the city has made a greeting to every english sovereign passing through to his coronation at westminster or returning to honour the city of london with a visit with that belfry mute it seems as though a bit of old london's long history and tradition has passed out of it wind in the high tower sweeps across the bells their note is as true as ever but they hang listlessly no one daring because of the shaking frame to give a turn to the wheels which would release all this melody who will help the rector to give back to london the bells of st clements End of chapter 17